Nope. I was just like, you know, everybody pretty much distanced themselves. And I was like, I don't even care. Yeah. Like I was at that point, like, I don't even care. I don't care if you like me. I mean, it's my own family. I was like, I don't care. It's, I think it's like that survival thing that kicks in. Yeah. And something happens where you just disconnect from everything other than living. Yeah. And it's like, I think it protects you from all the emotional, you know, I don't know, distractions. Um, the, I did have my clients and there was a few of them that stayed. And um, I mean, I, a lot of them stayed, but a few of them that I would talk to you and I had one really smart client and she was a psychiatrist and she said, you know, there, I, I heard a professor say when I was back getting her PhD at 1970, that one day the field of psychology and neurology will collide. And, and she said encouraging words to me. And that's all I needed. I just needed one yeah. sentence from one person. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Hi everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am your host, Nicolette Richet. And like every episode, I always say we have the best guest coming on our show today. And it is always true. People have the most incredible stories to share and I love bringing their stories to you so you can learn, so you can be inspired, so that you can take some of this advice, some of these stories, and maybe work them into your life to help you learn how to eat better, how to live better, how to sleep better, just really how, so you can realize and get closer to that incredible, incredible innate human version of yourself that you might not be living authentically. Food heals the body. There is no doubt about that. It is undeniable that nutrition is our foundation. But of course, we also need to look at other factors in our world. And that's where Elizabeth Harris comes in. She is a, and it, it, she is a powerhouse. And I cannot even begin to express my, express my gratitude for this woman and the fight that she has had to live, the journey that she has had to walk and go through to be able to bring this knowledge to the world. She's got a new book coming out on October 26th that you absolutely need to have uh, so that you can learn about something that might be affecting you, but you just have no idea about the ramifications that it is having on your family. So let me tell you a little bit more about Elizabeth. So in 2008, that's not too long ago, Elizabeth's son came down with a case of strep throat, like many of you and myself, my kids have had. And after receiving antibiotics, he seemed to be feeling better, but then his behavior, behavior became extremely erratic. So she consulted with you know, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of doctors and specialists and went so many tests, it, it, you know, it would blow your mind to see what this woman had to go through to be able to find out that her uh, son was diagnosed with pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorder associated with strep infection. So in other words, pandas, but the story, that's just the beginning. So he went, she went through everything, prescribing him the medications, getting the medications for him, and his, of course, his psychiatric symptoms then really just got worse. But in this journey, she was able to find reprieve. She shares with you exactly what she went through to be able to get the answers that eventually not just saved her, saved her son's life, but saved her entire family life. Because what she found out is that what he was battling was also something that 
um, the whole entire family had as well. And it was able to help bring resolve to all the health issues in the family. Now, Elizabeth is uh, the founder and owner of La Belle E Famosa Spa in Tennessee, a hugely successful place that you can go to if you are in the area. Now, she's also a, a scientist as well. She is pursuing her master's in molecular medicine, and she has a degree in biology and chemistry from Murray State University. She's also studying nutrition and uh, physical fitness, cardiac rehab from the American College of Sports Medicine. So that's just be the beginning in addition to her being an incredible mother and incredible human in our society. So I can't wait to share this podcast with you. Now, before we jump in as well, I want to let you know about a few things that are happening. We have postponed our run bike across Canada yet again. COVID is kicking everybody in the butt. We just want to make sure that when we do go across Canada and run and cycle, that we are able to do the work that we are wanting to do, which is really to gather with communities, BIPOC communities around across Canada to better understand the barriers to accessing clean, fresh, real food and to better understand what is in the way of achieving food sovereignty in these communities. We don't want to be infecting people. We don't want to be contributing to viral spread. We also just need to know what the heck is happening with COVID, which we're not going to get those answers anytime soon. So we've postponed it to 2023. Very exciting. But in the meantime, we do have the intro for our feature film documentary coming out, as well as another documentary called Grounded in My Roots, which is an it's going to be a beautiful movie. Our film crew in Light Films is phenomenal. They're the ones who followed me around my BC tour this summer, and they're the ones who conducted all the interviews, and they're going to be coming out with that documentary on our behalf in January. And before we go any further, definitely head over to our website, getoffyourfatass.com. We will have all the links in the show notes below fat being that you are fabulous, amazing, authentic, and you have the ability to transform yourself back into that person that you know you already are. You are perfect as you are, but you just might need some accountability, a kick in the butt, and that's where we come in to get you to set a BHAG, to get you to actually be able to make the changes that you've been wanting to see around the foods that you eat, around the ways that you move your body. So that is going to be going live on December 1st, a six-week program to get you moving. It's only 150 bucks. It's the best thing ever. And and I love teaching this program more than anything because I see the potential in you. I want you to see the potential in you and help you realize that through a change diet and movement. So without further ado, let's welcome Elizabeth Harris onto the show and I'll see you at the end. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I'm very excited to have Elizabeth Harris on the show today. Welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you. So Elizabeth, you are in Tennessee, is that correct? I'm in Franklin, Tennessee. It's just about 15 miles south of Nashville. Nice, nice. I got to spend some time in Tennessee when I was going to university in Mississippi and we traveled there to go listen to all the amazing music that they have there in Memphis. And yeah, it was pretty fabulous. I do miss it. Phenomenal music around here, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
and the warmth. I miss the warmth too. Oh, it's such a beautiful day today. Even. Wow. And it's pouring rain and freezing and you need toques and sweaters to go outside. Hats and, <sighs> hats and sweaters and jackets and boots, everything. Oh. <laughs> so Elizabeth, uh, we are going to be talking about a very, very interesting story that surrounded your life. And I just have to begin by saying I love diving into um, and, and I really want the audience to get you get to know you as this and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this super driven, feisty, determined mother who really was out there to find the root, root, root cause of your son's condition. So can we go back to that time before his symptoms started? And just tell me a little bit about, you know, what you were doing at that time in your life. You had this beautiful baby. Um, and, and what did things look like at that time before things just started to unravel? Well, I mean, um, my career had taken off. I was a spa consultant. I owned one location here in Cool Springs. I had just um, developed my own cellulite reduction device and came out with my skincare line. And so things were really going well. I was traveling quite a bit, doing trade shows, um, teachings, et cetera. And then I also had a 16-year-old daughter at the time and two adopted children. So four total children in the home. Um, things were, were hectic. I mean, but they were under control and manageable. We had inventory sheets for our groceries. I mean, it was very, I, I ran the home kind of like I ran the business, you know? And so, I mean, we did really well until it was around November. I think it was 2010 or so when, um, my son, you know, caught strep throat and, and it was odd because, I walked into the kitchen and he was rolling around, like grabbing his stomach, saying his stomach hurt so bad. And I thought, I mean, that was the, the furthest thing I would have guessed that I would have taken him in and he would have had strep, but that was the case. And um, he started on antibiotics and all seemed to be well, other than him just not feeling, you know, the best until a couple of weeks later. And just to be honest with you, initially, I didn't put the two together because out of the blue, he started to act very oddly. He initially just started buttoning his shirt up and down, on and off, over and over, and he couldn't move. He was just standing there. I said, what's going on? He's like, I'm just trying to get this shirt off. He's taking it off multiple times and put it back on. It didn't feel right going back on, so to redo it. And then he began walking over transition strip and things just went more bizarre by the day. So, so let's back up a bit. So how old was he at the time um, just before he got, or when he got strep? He was about 10 years old. He actually just turned 11. And up until that point, describe your son and his behavior and his moods and what he was like. He was very high energy. Um, he had already been diagnosed with ADHD and he took Concerta, but not on the weekends. But overall, that was, that was pretty much it. Now, as, as a very young child, he had a lot of ear infections and pneumonia, several bouts with pneumonia, but he had appeared to outgrow those, you know, and, and was functioning quite well. I had a lot of friends, birthday parties, just pretty typical. Yeah. And so then when you started to know, would you describe these as OCD-like behaviors? 
then the uh, buttoning up the shirt up and down, stepping over the transition strips in doorways uh, back and forth, or, you know, like what, as a mother and you see your child, you know, doing this, like what was going through your mind at the time? Well, I was just thinking, what's wrong with you? Because I didn't even know what OCD was, you know, (laughs) what is, what are you doing? You know, and you just kind of blow it off. And then, you know, it, it honestly got a little annoying in the beginning because he came in and he was like, can you dry my pants again? I'm like, they're already dry. He's like, no, they're not. And then he was like, can you boil my toothbrush? I need you to get it up to 108 degrees. It kills all the bacteria. And I was like, what, why? I didn't even know you knew that, you know? And then, so that was day one. And I was already like, okay, this is weird. But then day two, things took like a whole other turn and he decided he was going to make a tent. And so he pulled every single chair in the whole house. I mean, kids make tents. That's normal. I've seen a child make a tent before, but this tent was crazy. Every single blanket off the bed, the sheets, everything for this huge tent that couldn't have a single hole. No air could be exposed. I mean, he worked for like eight hours on this thing and then he went to sleep in it, you know? And I thought, "Hmm, okay. But then day three and and the whole time I'm like calling the doctor, I'm like, okay, there's something wrong. You know, there's something going on, but he's trying to reassure me saying, this is normal. He's probably just playing hide and go seek. I'm like, okay. (laughs) But by day three, he started crouching behind the chair in the living room. It's around Christmas. You had the Christmas tree up. And um, he felt like bugs were crawling on him. His pupils got huge. I mean, he just looked literally terrified. He wouldn't even let me touch him. His dad came to pick him up. He wouldn't go with him. Um, And then he started thinking people were watching him through the windows. And that's when I started to get a little Mm. bit, you know, hysterical in terms of like, I got to do something. Something's going to happen. Yeah, that must have been scary, especially because you're talking about a progression of your child gets strep throat, you take them to the doctor's takes a bout of antibiotics. Um, and then uh, you think things are just gonna get better. And then all of a sudden now his behavior is completely changing. So then the doctor saying like nothing to support you, obviously. And then, so what did you do then at this point? So then I was just like, okay, maybe I'm uh, you know overreacting as we all always do. So I called one of my colleagues over to the house and I said, okay, you've known this child for how many years now? I need you to tell me, is this like something drastically wrong? And he watched him for about 10 minutes and said, this child needs to go to the hospital. Oh, wow. So then I called back to the doctor's office. And fortunately, um, there was a different doctor on call, one that my son hadn't seen before. We've been to the same pediatrician, you know, for his whole life. And um, this particular doctor, when I described it, he immediately said, that sounds like an on you know, an acute onset of pandas, take him to the emergency room at Vanderbilt hospital. Yeah. If you could just explain to our audience what pandas is. Pandas is something that I didn't even know what it was at the time. And when I looked it up, all I could find was panda bears. Um, Upon further research, there still wasn't much there because it had just been recognized in uh, June of that year. And it stands for pediatric autoimmune neuropsychiatric disorders associated with streptococcal infections. Right. So a kid or an adult can it, it's mostly affects um, children though. Right. Cause it's pediatric condition. They say that, but it's not true, but yeah. Yeah. yeah I figure it affects <laughs> a lot of adults. And so they get a strep infection. Um, and it can also, I mean, this one specific is related to strep, but then there's also panda, I believe, or, or pants that's not related to strep. Right. Right. 
Yes. Okay. So then the, you get this viral infection, you treat it with antibiotics and then what is happening in the body at this point? So, I mean, you know, just a quick recap, I had a biology and chemistry degree and I've worked right. in the spa world my whole life. And so I immediately started thinking how to strep attack a brain. And then I just jumped to rheumatic heart, you know, and in that instance, it's, you know, those, those children can never get strep again because like the body develops confused antibodies towards self tissue. And, um, you know, it, it's a very dangerous situation. And all of a sudden I was just like, please tell me this is not happening to his brain. Yeah, exactly. So basically the body starts to attack itself because it can't recognize the antibodies for the strep versus the antibodies, you know, for other things in your own body tissue as well. And so and then that, just autoimmune disorder kicks in aggressively and inflammation with that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that, and that is, you know, there was only one page of information on this and PANS wasn't even identified yet. Yeah. And so there I am in the dark and I'm just like, okay, what's the test? How are they going to know? But then, I mean, I didn't really think anything other than, you know, the, the doctors will take care of them, right. you know? And I was like, well, hopefully they'll know because I can't find anything. So we get to the emergency room, we pull in and I'm like, okay, we need to get him checked out for pandas. I mean, I, I didn't know what to say, you know? And so we go in and then unbeknownst to me, there was all this controversy swirling around this diagnosis. I wish I'd had the memo at the time, but I didn't. And so I just, you know, blindly trusted everyone that came in the room and told them the story and didn't realize what the psychiatrist is asking versus neurologist versus infectious disease. And I was just answering them all. But, you know, the funny thing is, is they come in and out. And so none of them get the whole story. They just ask what they want to know. They leave. And then nobody puts the whole thing together. Yeah. And so as you were going through this, um, was it progressively getting worse? Because obviously you don't get the appointment the first day that you want to when you recognize you need to go. So obviously days are going by and weeks are going by. And what's happening with your son in this time? Well, actually we did. Um, they admitted him. Oh, to the, the emergency room. They admitted him. Um, neurology ordered... Um, a spinal tap and some other testing. And then, um, you know, we went in, we stayed for three days, they ran all the tests and they came back and they were like, well, he still has strep. And so they put him on intravenous antibiotics and he got better. And I was like, okay, he still has strep. At the time, I didn't know that he also had pneumonia. And so basically he had two things. And so he gets better with this intravenous antibiotic and then they're ready to discharge us. And I'm like, okay, so what, you know, what caused the, the psychosis? And um, they're like, we don't really know. And I'm like, well, what are we going to do to find out? Well, how, what did you diagnose him with? What do we do? Where do we go from here? It was terrifying to leave the hospital. And you're like, okay, you know, oh, we're going to give you some Zoloft and send him to cognitive behavioral therapy. And I'm just remember thinking, for, for bacteria? What? What? I mean, I remember just like, so tell if, if you could, so crazy. So tell the audience please what Zoloft is and your Zoloft, kids 10. And, and the reason I know, even knew what Zoloft was, is my mom is a therapist, you know, and, and um, she's been in the field forever. And so I'm very familiar with those medications and it is an antipsychotic medication. Basically, I believe that's an SSRI. Um, come to find out later, I would learn that those types of medications actually suppress the immune system. Yeah. And so that's why they seemingly work temporarily. And so I thought, okay, 
we're going to have a talk with this strep. <laughs> How's this is supposed to work? And so I, I got upset and I said, no, I, I want to see the chart. Like, I want to see the diagnosis. And, um, you know, they didn't want to give it to me. And I, I finally got it. And it said psychosis resolved in OS, like not otherwise specified. And I'm just like, you know, it's just not good enough. And I said, did you guys run the anti-DNA B titer test? Of course, at the time, I didn't know what it was, but that was the only common denominator in these kids on that website. And so they did run that and his came back 1480, those very high titers. But unbeknownst to me at the time, that doesn't indicate necessarily group A strep, it's group B strep in the nasopharyngeal region. So of course, I didn't know all of this then. Right. So this is, you know, and I just can't help but think about, um, well, being in the U.S. and having this happen, because I lived in the U.S. for a few years and, you know, with our, with the medical system the way it is, and at the time too, that, um, I mean, so many people just don't have benefits to be able to cover a lot of this extended care that's needed. And so how many mothers are out there? And also they don't have a background, you know, in chemistry, and maybe they're not going to be asking all the questions that you're going to ask. And, and how scary is this for a parent who just is like, has to go with what the doctors are saying? It's terrifying. And that, and honestly, that's why I'm doing what I'm doing, because yeah. it's like, you know, I mean, I fought so hard and so long night and day to get to the answer. And it's just like a hope that we can save just at least a handful of people from having to do that. Because um, once we were discharged, uh, the, I think the pediatrician said we could go in for strep test without an appointment. I was like, that's it. That's like, what's going to happen with this? So I carried him to the talk therapy and put him on the Zoloft, like they said. And I just, he still just never got back to baseline. He just, mm -hmm. everything was like not right. A lot of textural issues, tactile sensitivities, you know, a lot of OCD left, but not like it was. I mean, it just never, you know, never got back to baseline. Right. So then what did you do after this? What was, you know, you went home, you had the medication, you went to talk therapy, you're doing what you're, what basically you were told to do. And what happened? Was it making a bit of difference? And um, finally, I, I talked to a researcher and they're like, well, just don't, you know, you don't have to give him the Zoloft. So we took him off the Zoloft, didn't make a bit of difference if he was on or off. Um, talk therapy, just, it, it was just time, a time waster. So fast forward the next year, he, he, and he was starting to like not get along with people more. I mean, it was just mm -hmm. like, you know, I started to have a lot of problems. And so the next year at the same time, it was like maybe November this talk therapist it's like we're on session I don't know 50 or whatever and he gets sick again and this time he's holding his stomach his pupils get big and he starts to hear like auditory hallucinations that's what he's having and so he just wasn't feeling well and so I called the therapist and I said you know this time I want to do a house visit I don't do those I'm like well this time I want you to mm -hmm. and so she came out and she looked at him and she's like this child needs further medical rule outs Wow. And, you know, good on you for, you know, making the doctor come because it's context is important as well. Like being in a doctor's office for 15 minutes is not enough time to really gather any information and diagnose somebody and see them actually behaving, you know, the way they are, because you bring your kids there and the kids are like wide eyed because there's a stranger looking at them and asking them lots of questions. I mean, you're not going to get the same behavior response. Mm -mm. No. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And I do sometimes wish we can go back to those days of doctor's visits and, you know, and have people be able to truly see what's happening and have people comfortable in their own space. So I just have to say, yeah, that's amazing. So then, so what next? This is such a fascinating, fascinating story. I mean, it would be great if we could get more medical worlds, but the pediatrician, I didn't realize had taken the stance that this was just a parenting issue. But, you know, he didn't tell me that he, he should have just said, you know, I don't believe it. I, I think you're probably a bad mom. That, that's wow. fine. You know, but he I found it in the notes later. Um, but I mean, I kept going to him saying something's wrong. Can you check him? And by this time I noticed I was like, wait a minute. OK, so the strep, he got these kind of symptoms. I mean, they were just like next level. But then he would have these little bouts of ups and downs. And I could always tell because he would get like four or five bus referrals in a week, you know, or it would just be all of a sudden, I was like, wait a minute. It's almost like he's going up and down with other things besides just strep, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I just started observing everything. And um, the other kids in the house, we had a really tough time there for a while. Um, And and we muddled through to the point where things, things were getting really bad though. And I thought, you know, it seems to me that there's viruses or molds or something in the food, something, but whatever it is, some of them last like a day, some last like three or four days, some can last two weeks. I was like, there's no rhyme or reason to any of this. And so without any help from a medical professional, you know, I called, a, you know, a few of the pediatricians and got online a lot and, and all the other moms that, that had ch- children with Candace were having the same issues. And so I found a test online uh, from Molecularo Labs called the Cunningham Panel. And I asked him to order that and he fired us. What? He fired us. He fired us. He Your said, pediatrician fired pediatrician you. Fired me yeah. for asking for a test. Um, I'd asked for a test a year before and let it go. I was like, can we just run the anti-DNA speak? No, there's no need. I'm like, well, I don't get it. You know, I mean, I'll write the check for it. It's $115. You won't write yeah. the order. I just feel like we were in prison. So anyway, um, he got strep a second time. And when he got strep the second time, so fast forward, we're in eighth grade this time. I mean, I, I've never seen anything like it. He got it from a housekeeper and it went overnight again. She called and she was like, I just want to let you know, I've got strep. And I was like, oh gosh, Um, within a few hours, he's like green and turns into like literally a completely different child that's possessed (laughs) and I'm just like how is this possible I mean he instantly became horrendously mean like and I didn't realize the time was oppositional defiance disorder but um I was like so this next drop infection took us to a whole new level and things just got more bizarre and more bizarre and after the pediatrician had fired me very you know like okay I mean I'm open-minded you know if it is a parenting issue I will you know, try to correct that. I don't know how much more organized I can become, but I'll give it a shot. So I got that total transformation program. I don't know if you've ever seen it by James Lehman. And so for like the last 12 months, we've been like giving out rewards and, you know, so we've been doing, we'd have game night, reading night. I quit work basically entirely to stay home. And even after all that, he gets struck and just overnight. And I just thought, okay, this is insane. Well, this next time he got struck, things went south really fast. And um, what I know now, he started to get these like compulsions that he could not fight. And he was doing things that we ended up in the juvenile court system. Hmm. 
involved with the judge. Of course, though, of course, because when you have inflammation in the brain, I mean, you just think about somebody take away all the health issues, all the stress, all the autoimmune, all the everything. And, you know, some people get a headache and they become snappy and, you know, they can, you know, yell out and do all of that, or they become depressed, like even just from something as tiny as a headache, because the minute your brain is impacted, it's so hard to make any decisions. But now you have this chronic brain inflammation that's happening as a result of the uh, autoimmune disorder and your, you know, body's attacking the tissue, of course. And, and I imagine for different kids, it's going to present I imagine differently, depending on where in the brain, um, that you have the excessive inflammation and swelling. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's many, many panda symptoms. In fact, I think it's, you know, probably far more common than we even acknowledge at this point. Oh, a hundred, especially with the amount of antibiotics that are prescribed where now we just have, you know, super bugs and the body is just riddled and, you know, we haven't even gotten into talking about the microbiome or anything like that, but I'm sure that's going to come up, but yeah, of course. So here you are now, how many years has this been going on for now? as you're trying to figure this out, um, three, three, four years. These I are mean, such it, important times. Yeah. They're such important times. And then I had two other children, you know, and I had a teenager too. So just, you know, it grieves my heart, but it's like, okay, so what do you do with that? You know, it's like, okay. So um, it, it was just mass chaos a lot of the times. And it really wasn't anything that you could put your finger on. I mean, yeah, there, there'd been a divorce, but I'm sorry. There's a, a lot of children that have divorced parents that don't do drive cars often, to, you know? Yeah. And so, but it just became, when he would get something in his head, it would get stuck there. Like if he was watching something and, and the way that I finally figured out, I was like, okay, so it's whatever he's doing or thinking about at the time, the inflammation, you know, really like is exacerbated that, that he stays stuck in that realm mm-hmm. throughout until the inflammation is brought down. But, you know, um, I'm just watching in horror as all these things happen. And, you know, we've been to the, so in the total transformation program, you know, they encourage you to support the school, you know? And so I did and made really like best friends with the assistant principal. I don't know if she would say that, but was out there 27 times, like support, support. There's really nothing left to do in terms of like rules and disciplinary. And I just, well, what, you know, what's next? And these things that he's doing, none of them are really like, horrible things they're just like he gets stuck on something and he won't stop but you know it's the one two three and you're out thing yeah. and then and she goes well you know we file unruly petitions and go in front of the judge I'm like you know so anyway there we are we ended up in front of the judge of course I think okay this could become a win-win because maybe the judge could order the test we need the anti-DNAC yeah. so I'm trying to explain to this judge and now he's even almost like worse than the doctors looking at me like I've got three heads Fortunately, his dad was there with me. So um, we went to the psychiatrist that had actually been been trying to help that got us to the talk therapy and was given the Zoloft three years earlier. And she actually agreed to order the PANDAS test. Oh, good. She ordered the PANDAS test and it came back positive. And so we had been fired by the pediatrician's office, but we had a 30 day window for acute care. And so I called up and I was like, my child has pandas and I would like him taken care of. And so I took it in and we saw a different doctor, the the same doctor that referred us three years earlier. And he put him right away on antibiotics and he immediately started to get better. I mean, he slowly started to get better. It was very slow because it was Keflex. And, um, 
you know, he'd been infected for so long, you know, far too long without treatment. So it just, you know, he just a little bit at a time, but the problem was we were already in that groove of the, of the juvenile court system, which is like a whole other travesty in and of itself. And, um, so those judges put all these rules on you. They don't care if you have a medical issue. They don't, they don't care. It's just like, and, and they give you this list of rules of things that like you didn't think to take away their cell phone, you know, but for him to take away all of his electronics was, I mean, brutal. And it put us yeah. in a lot of danger because I didn't have anything to keep his mind off of what was going on. Totally. And we didn't have, so it was just, it was a nightmare. It was just horrible. And, um, by this time, um, I realized, and everybody's telling me, okay, if he's really had this for this long without any treatment, he's in bad shape. And so he needs to go to an expert and get intravenous immunoglobulin. So I make an appointment with Dr. Latimer up in Washington, DC. We can't get in for six months. So I'm supposed to keep this child safe who's in all this trouble. You know, um, it was just, it was probably one of the worst times of my life. And that's... I mean, we were locking doors, screwing down everything. And it still, I mean, it was like he had this capability that he should never have had at that age. Things that he was doing that he'd never seen or heard of. And I was just like, how it's almost like, and as a, as a scientist too, I'm like, it's like, he's got access to a part of his brain that he shouldn't have access to. And that Mm. nobody else has access to. And I'm thinking now the inflammation, you know, pressing on parts of the brain, activating things that really aren't supposed to be activated. Yeah. I mean, because he knew, I mean, anyway, I couldn't say ahead of him. So we finally make it up to the, um, Maryland, you know, and he gets the treatment and we leave and, and $18,000, of course, like by this time, I'm not working, I'm paying lawyers, I'm paying these medical fees that I really shouldn't have had to. Um, and then we, we get back home, but before we left the doctor's office, she said, he's going to get worse before he gets better. And I just remember crying like silently because he's so hopeful. Yeah. This is going to fix him. So we got all the way back home and I didn't tell him, but he did, he got worse and um, ended up back in the juvenile detention center that very night, that dirty cell, you know, he took my car and um, he wrecked it. And so he ended up back in there. And this time, um, you know, she just was ready to lock the door and throw away the key. And so the lawyers were like, well, you've got to get him into a treatment facility. But the only treatment facilities your insurance will pay for is behavioral health because they're psych symptoms, but it's a medical etiology. And so I was like, I, you know, I don't want him to go to a psych place and get all psychiatric medications and not get the yeah. medical treatment he needs. And so it was so difficult to navigate that. And we found this one place in Carbondale. It was like a neuro rehabilitation center and they agreed to take him and the judge was letting him out to go do an interview. So we went up to do the interview, but she said, you got to be back by 9 p.m. And we were going to make it back by nine. The clinical interview was like four hours. And she said, and if you don't, you're in contempt of court. Basically, you're going to jail. So it just became like all of this pressure of like, I'm going to jail because I can't figure out what's wrong with him and I've got nobody helping. And so that really lit a fire onto me because, um, we ended up going back and because we were late against the court order, she threw him in solitary confinement. Oh my left, goodness. Left him there for five weeks. What? In a five weeks. How old was he? Barely, barely 13, just turned 14. What? 
this is this is so criminal because of the fact that we actually do have the knowledge around this. We have the information. We just need to have teams coming together and you know working on this to know how the mind works with nutrition, works with psychiatric drugs, works with um, you know uh, things like strep viruses and all different types of viruses. I mean, the information is out there, and it's you know we need this um, trans or interdisciplinary. Um, gatherings where the ego is gone, where it's like, I'm no longer a specialist, but this is what I know. And tell me, what do you know? And what do you know from all the different specialties coming together? And then leaving it to the justice system is, you know, we need people who definitely are involved in those meetings so that they can explain from their standpoint, like, listen, our hands are tied. This is what we have to do. But they also understand this interrelationship between, you know, like I said, the diet, the medication, the virus, the, you know, somebody who's a pandas expert and, you know, and at the time too, when it's new information, I get that, but just people who are wanting to find a solution like you were. Well, and, you know, I just thought, I mean, I was so naive at the time because I owned a business my whole life, Yeah. you know, and I just thought that like juvenile court was a place for resources. And that's what the yeah. officer said. You of know, there's lots of help. There's lots of support there, but I get there and it's not, I mean, I quickly ascertained that it was just a dirty business just yeah. to be perfectly blunt. It was just like, what is your motive? Like where there's no help for these kids. You're locking them up. You're shipping them off the facilities. It was just like, I wish I'd never seen it. But then again, I knew I would, ha I had to see it to believe it. And you know? also to probably learn about it so that you can help people. Like people will know that they might be like you. No, the justice system is there to support us. I've heard so many people say that. Like, why would you ever doubt it? It's built for us, but it's not really at all and so you needed to see the inside of it in a way so that you can help other people understand that you really want to stay as far away from that as as you possibly can you yeah, you want to do everything and anything to stay away from that system wow um, and so ultimately i think it was that the judge basically thought i was going to file suit because of the fact that he had this medical diagnosis and the neurologist had diagnosed him and treated him with ibig and he was on antibiotics which he needed to stay on she wouldn't let him go back to the neurologist. She only wanted him to go to a psychiatrist. And I'm like, wait a minute. So now you're manipulating everything so that you can get the diagnoses to fit him for this facility in this division of the insurance. Anyway, I'll move on from that because they tried to take custody from me because at that point, if they could put him in his father's custody, then I wouldn't be able to take any action. So they, they managed to remove all my medical decision-making rights they thought, <laughs> but, wow. and what did your, um, ex-husband, what was he thinking about all this at the time? I mean, he kind of got caught up in the fear, right? He got caught up in the fear and, and that's what everybody does. It's like, we've got to do what they say. And, and me, I'm like, well, you know what? We've got two options. We can do what they say and lose our child forever, or we can defy them and maybe have a chance at him living. So I think I'm going to go with B. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'll take B. <laughs> Yeah, you know, wow. and so it's like, and, and then they want you to sign these petitions admitting you've done things and they and but they say they're helping but I didn't sign any of it and that made it really bad so long story short I had to jump from medical to, to court for about three month period and I went through two or three lawyers but you don't realize they all know each other 
I did finally find one lawyer that was able to, you know, get everything dropped, dismissed. And I was, I got custody back of him. And then I thought, you know, Elizabeth, if you don't figure this out, you're going to lose him and it's going to be over. And so the pressure was on because I was like, now he had PTSD from being in a cell. And so now I'm like, you got PTSD, which the symptoms overlaps somewhat with a panda. So how am I supposed to tease all this out to know what's what? And now you really do need a therapist and a psyche, a psychiatrist, whereas before you did it. And it was easy for me to see it. Now I've got this like complex situation. So, I mean, I just, you know, honestly, I just, just only listened to myself and I just prayed you know, for, for guidance. And I just, um, followed the little breadcrumbs that I thought every, everything I heard, like I would hear one thing in a whole lecture and I would like, okay, that applies to me. But when they did try to take medical decision-making away, I went to Atlanta and to a conference, a pandas conference and found a different pandas doctor. And the minute that I got, it was real hard to get in with him, but I stood up there and waited. He said, okay, I'll take him on. The minute that he, I got him, I took him straight to the lab and we ran like 37 vials of blood. And I took him back to his dad. I said, don't tell anybody. <laughs> you know, like, we're going to get this figured out. And so by the time I got him back, the results were in. And he was like, um, this pediatric neurologist, his name is Dr. Trifoletti. I credit him for, for a lot of this because, you know, um, he just said, wow, his strep pneumotiders were off the charts. That's nasal, you know, strep in the, in the nose. And then he also had some antithyroid antibodies. And I was like, okay. I was like, but you know, there's, there's a lot going on here. So we would just sporadically do more tests and meetings. And then I had to, you know, come up with a funding somehow for all this. Yeah. I was going to ask you. It's not covered by insurance. And then, so we're going over this summer and, and the pressure is, is just like full court press. And so I'm like, okay, there's one more thing we've got to rule out and that's genes. Like, what if this is some schizophrenia that got, you know, triggered by the the trauma in addition to the pandas? What I need to know is there are two things. And so we did this extensive genetic testing and he didn't have a single thing he'd been diagnosed with. He didn't have the gene for ADHD, didn't have the gene for OCD. He didn't have it for, oh, by this time he had 27 diagnoses. I was like, this is just not, I mean, and not to have the gene. He didn't even have the gene for an autoimmune disease. And I look at it and I mean, this is a massive test. It took me three days to digest it. And, and then he went over it with me and he was like, well, there's, you know, downline, like this would be something that if the condition's right, when he's 40 or 50, there's like one, one questionable thing, but the proteins weren't there that would indicate it had been triggered. So ruled that out. So it's like, Okay. Good news. Good news and bad news. It's all environmental. Yeah. We know that. Exactly. Um, But I don't know what it is. I've literally tried everything and I don't have my own prescription pad. Oh my God. And you have three kids at home that need you and three kids at home that need me. And I will say that that is the summer (laughs) where I just started like, okay. So my adopted kids who, they came to me from DCS. And when we got them, they were supposed to have all kinds of crazy stuff. Sweetest kids you would ever meet. Just the great kids, you know, never any problems. But that particular summer, I mean, they started acting in in different ways than they'd acted before. And I mean, yeah, you think it's the trauma and all the stress. 
And that's what I'm dismissing everything as like, like my 14 year old is hormones and my, you know, other son, he's just scared of everything wants to hide in his room until my daughter, Michelle, the book, she comes down and she's like, oh, my ear really hurts. And she leaned forward and she's got this big red boil behind her ear. And I was like, this is contagious. Whatever this is, is contagious. And I'm like, okay. And by this time she was slamming doors at me. She was staying up all night. She was having a high heart rate. So oppositional defiance disorder, of course, we've been referred to the therapist. We've been going to the therapist. We've got all three kids going to all the therapists when they really just needed to be in the doctor. So I go into the doctor and I'm like, um, and they have a different doctor. Thank gosh. He didn't think I was crazy yet. And I'm like, so, um, can we take the boil and culture it and yeah. send it off? Cause I'm thinking, okay, this could be a clue for everything, you know, Yeah. Like, well, I'm really not going to do that. I'm thinking, why, yeah. why are we not going to do that? You know, but anyway, he did writer antibiotics for the boil. And as the boil went down, her attitude of sweet, kind, loving, just her, her baseline attitude also returned. So and I, there are so many things here that are just so incredible about your story. I almost think that because you have so much knowledge, because you are a scientist and you study chemistry and, um, you know, biology and everything that um, I have, like, I know that for myself too, because I have a science background Sometimes when I go into doctor's offices and I ask for things, they immediately write me off because they think I Googled it. It's so degrading. It's terrible. I've had doctors say, you asked too many questions, but I'm like, I'm the one who diagnosed my daughter with meningitis, not you guys, not 17 doctors who missed it. And then they still say, I asked too many questions. And this is the part that absolutely needs to change somehow in the system. And I get it's hard because some people might be hypochondriacs and some people might have Munchausen's or some, you know, but I mean, that's so few and far between than just the, the mother who absolutely just wants to get to the root cause of their kid's condition. And sometimes it's probably a good idea to listen to the mother. And I've had doctors call me back and say, we are so sorry. We never listened to you. You taught us a vital lesson. We need to also just listen. It is probably one of the most important things. And this is why I think narrative medicine needs to be brought into the entire medical system because it's the person's collective story. It's everything in context. It's understanding that you have a loving, sweet daughter. She gets a boil behind her ear. Her behavior changed. Like that needs to be considered in the context of your son as well. Absolutely. So absolutely. And what so was the boil? Can I ask, like what, what? So, so, um, so that's when I start thinking, okay, this is contagious. Well, I, and I haven't been to this part of the story yet, but, but maybe a year or two before my son came down with his acute onset, I started having symptoms of my own. Mine was just, it was hand tingling, you know, I mean, it was all things that could be written off by stress and mm -hmm. working a lot. And, and I mean, but I mean, I'd wake up and they were numb, you know, and um, I'd gotten like a little pinky break. And so over the course of the, the five years, he's diagnosed with pandas. I'm ultimately diagnosed with complex regional pain syndrome. My muscle is just like wasting. I'm losing weight. I, I'm like down to 123 but I don't have any big boil and I'm just thinking, okay, so wait, and I'm not putting it together until I'm like, 
my wrist won't bend. I'm having nerve blocks, but I'm on pain meds and, and lyric. I mean, the medications that we were all on, I mean, probably a thousand dollars a month with that was copay, you know? Yeah. And it's like, okay, this, this makes no sense. And I just stopped and I thought to myself, okay, I've worked out my whole life. I've got basically a master's in sports medicine. I've eaten right. I've raised the kids right. They, they've had a stable home. There's been some ups and downs, but I mean, you know, um, for the most part, nothing explains this. And so I went and I thought nobody's going to be able to help me. So I scheduled appointments with all of the specialists myself rather than, because I kept trying to go to the pediatrician. Well, can you schedule us with this person, schedule us that person? You don't have to do that. I scheduled with the immunologist. I scheduled, once I had those lab numbers, I built this monstrous spreadsheet and I just like put all the abnormalities in. And every time that he would send updated labs, the spreadsheet would get larger. And so then I had this idea. So I moved all that to a different tab. I went and I got his medical records since birth, like back in the vault. And I mean, it took me forever to collect them, but you can get a full legal medical record. And so they were all shipped in and I'm sitting there with this huge binder and he's like bouncing off the walls. And I'm like, <laughs> I have much time to figure this out. I'm in horrific pain, but I've tabled mine because I'm like, I got to figure him out. Um, so I'm reading his record from the time he was a baby and I don't know all the words, you know, but I'm looking him up. So it takes me a ridiculously long amount of time. But come to find out, I realized that like this little thing that he'd had not wasn't so little. When he was a baby, he had never gotten rid of this organism. And I'm like, okay, because as I laid the timeline out and I wrote it all out and I noticed that he was treated with Zithromax, but it came back and it was treated with something else, but then it went to double pneumonia. Then he was hospitalized mm -hmm. and it was just like on and on and on. And so then you flip the story and you start reading it like a book. And you read that like when he's young, three, four, five, six, he has all this like just horrible coughing and all these descriptions of the coughing. And then about the third grade, it stopped being physical symptoms and started becoming hyperactivity, mm -hmm. OCD, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it was just like, it was like this, the immune system just tipped. And I was like, so he's got a resistance, something that nothing's worked on and it's taken hold of him. And this is where we are. What do we do now? <sighs> so I start looking at super bugs. I'm like, okay, it's super bug. So I'm researching super bug. And the first thing that pops up is 19A, which is a strain of streptococcal pneumonia. And I'm not sure how familiar you are, but the Prevnar vaccine that came out in 2000, the Prevnar 7 covered like the seven most virulent strains. But then others emerged. The doctors didn't recognize the symptoms. So when Prevnar 13 came out in 2010. So goodness knows, but one of these strains was resistant to all antibiotics other than Leviquin. So my son, I'm like, I found it. We need Leviquin. It's just, we just haven't had the right antibiotic. And so I'm like, I'm done with doctors. I'm calling the CDC. So I call the CDC and I'm like, my son has a resistance strain. I've got the labs right here. I did have that lab. His dietin is really high. It's resistant. He needs Leviquin. She goes, print that off and take it into your doctor. Okay. So hold on one second. So I just need to 
this is too much for me. This is <laughs> just the fact. I mean, they made a movie, The Brain That Changes Itself. You, you, do you know this story? No. Oh, you, you just have to watch it because I think it'll just hit home to you. And I talk about um, this all the time. Um, and it's, it's an, uh, a Times journalist. She's young. She's in her 20s. And the same, very much the same thing happens to her. I don't know if it's the same strain. I don't know what it is. But um, she basically goes from being this incredible journalist to complete psychosis in a, almost a psychiatric ward, but in neurology first. But they were, everyone was trying to transfer her to the psychiatric department. But the parents said, no way. We know my daughter does not have psychosis. We know it's something else. You don't go from functioning well and thriving in society to literally she was pulling out her hair. She was, had, she was catatonic. She was speaking in tongues, all of this. And so she wrote this beautiful book. It's called The Brain That Changes Itself. And, um, oh no, sorry. It's called Brain on Fire. The Brain That Changes Itself is also another really great book. Um, Brain on Fire. And, you know, and it really came down. It was one doctor who ran one test with a piece of paper and a pencil. I won't wreck the story for you. Piece of paper and a pencil. That's all it took for him to be able to diagnose her after every other psychiatrist, neuroscientist, completely just wanted to write her off as being either schizophrenic or extreme bipolar or, um, and, and that's all one drug it took her two years to learn how to walk and talk again after this happened, but now she's thriving again and helping thousands, millions of people around the world. So I think you and her need to become really good friends because you are to, you are, you are cut from the same cloth. No, you are feisty. Well, her parents and you actually, because her parents never gave up. And your story, I mean, I just, I just, I really just want to, I don't know what I want to do. I want to give you the biggest hug right now. Um, but I just cannot imagine, I can't imagine how hard that was. I've gone through, we have our own stories with our oldest daughter. Um, but here you are with spreadsheets, four children at home, all of you have all these different symptoms. You're in chronic pain. I just want to paint this picture for people. You are going back and getting every single medical record, you know, known to human, you know, around your son, which is the number one thing I tell all of my clients to do. You have to get a copy of every single lab result, um, every single record from every single doctor's appointment. You keep those in a binder and you keep those because one day you will need to do exactly what you did. You'll need to go back, you'll need to create a spreadsheet and you'll need to start to see a pattern because that's how you will end up diagnosing yourself when everybody else misses it. All the specialists, the experts, everybody in the world will miss it. You will be able to find it. And that's exactly what you did, which is just amazing. So I just need to ask a question. So going back, this one particular strain he had had when he was a baby. Is that correct? That or is, yep. That's where I was. It, that's where I was at the story in this part of the story. And I was like, I was just like, okay, it's gotta be 19A because he's never had Leviquin. He's had all these other things. So we need 19A. But then I start like having all these second thoughts of like, well, it's been there for like 13 years. And if I 
you know, managed to acquire some Levaquin. How much do I need to kill it? And am I going to make the other things resistant within yeah. him? You know, I mean, just like, am I going to make it worse? And then I'm like, well, how could it get any worse? It can't get any worse. Just go get the Levaquin. <laughs> so, right. So I'm like, we drive to a different emergency room. And by this time I'm like learning the thing, which is sad. You know, I'm like, okay, if you say this, don't say that. Because by this time he's hoarding medical supplies. That was one of his big things. <laughs> So he's not stealing. And I'm like, so I'm like walking in. I'm like, if he laughs at you, it's slob all emotions. He's not really laughing at you. If he takes the medical supplies, I'll give him back. It's not really stealing. It's hoarding. And you just hear yourself and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. But the common denominator is every time he was like through the roof and it wasn't group based or up, this area it was so red up around his eye, around this area. It was so red. I just, I thought, okay, I'm looking for clues. And so, you know, he didn't have a runny nose. He didn't have a sore throat, nothing. And so this uh, physician's assistant, I'm like, I hand him the spreadsheet. I have 19A circled. I hand him the document from the CDC. And I'm like, can you please give Jackson, Le I mean, sorry, Leviquin? And um, he's like, you want me to give your son something that could rupture his tendons? And I was like, well, that's better than solitary confinement for five weeks if it works. So yes, let's give it a shot, please. <laughs> he just wow. looks at me and he's like, okay, this mom is serious. Yeah. And he, he starts to examine him and he says, uh, your son has a raging sinus infection. And I'm like, he does? And I'm like, huh. But he doesn't act like he has, you know, he's not blowing his nose, nothing that comes with a sinus infection. His sinus infection looks like I broke my toe on a construction. I, I joined a new crew and I'm learning how to frame. And I met these, I was like, oh, that's the sinus infection look like. And so we get the Levaquin. I'm like, okay, think about this. So we go to the pharmacist. I'd met all these people on, on the journey. And there's this one really smart pharmacist and he didn't seem to think I was too crazy. And I hadn't asked him too many questions. So I go in there and I was Stand there and I'm like, okay, so I'm going to give him Leviquin, will it snap his tendons? And he goes, no, he's the size of a grown man. And then I'm thinking, okay, so we go home and, you know, we've had this experience now where we've had little, little bouts with antibiotics and every single one of them did something different, but he always got better, but he got, he got better and then he'd get worse. And I was like, what is that all about? I didn't understand it. And so I went home, I'm like, okay, well, maybe this is the right antibiotic. And I start to learn that all antibiotics are not created equally mm -hmm. and that there's all multiple classes and that they target different pathogens with different mechanisms of action. And some are, some are bactericidal, some are bacteriostatic and don't even kill anything. They just prevent replication. Some interrupt gut flora, some don't because I'm reading all this stuff before I give it to them. And I've got to tell you, I gave him that Leviquin. And within two days, he was the most peaceful I, I'd ever seen him in years. And I was just like, it's, it's going to work. It's going to work. Then on day three, he just like explosive rages. And I was like, okay, I know, I know this is the right answer. Just don't give, don't, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. What could be doing this? I'm looking it up and I'm like, what happens when bacteria die? He's clearly got a lot of them now. Yeah. Well, they give off ammonia. And right. so I'm like, okay, so ammonia is probably not good for him. There's probably a lot of it. So I put him in an Epsom salt bath and he calms right down. And so I'm like, okay, I don't understand any of this. I don't have anybody to tell me. And it's, it seems like it's going to be very dangerous. <laughs> so we finish up the Leviquin and then within a week, it's back. And I'm like, oh, what? 
And this time he's out in the lab, in the garage, making this like lab. Now he's decided <laughs> he's going to help me. He's got enough of his brain back to figure out he's going to help me. And he's like basically getting dirt samples out of the, the yard. He just got somehow got a lab coat. And I'm like, you know, and it's cute. But then you're like, it's coming back. You know, yeah, of course. Then you go to the kitchen and the refrigerator is like perfect. And you're like, where's all the food? And I'm like, oh. So then I'm like, I need more Leviquin. <laughs> you know, so now I'm on this mission for Leviquin, which is hard to get. It's harder to get that stuff than pain pills. And I'm like, wow. it's so hard to get antibiotics, but you can get hydrocodone, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I start looking, I start looking, and I'm like, okay, this 19A. And then I, I'll pick up his labs again. And I'm like, okay, so maybe it's the 19A plus something else. Maybe that's part of the equation. This has got to be a complex math problem, you know? Yeah. And so I'm looking through the first set of labs and I see, again, mycoplasma pneumonia. Of course, my brain's been on streptococcus pneumonia. Yeah. And then I'm like, well, he did have mycoplasma pneumonia infection. And I'm like, what is micro? And I just start like going off, like, I've, I've not looked into that. I need to look into that. These are both pneumonias. You know, so I start looking into it and I literally can find nothing on this organism, which by this time I'm like getting in kind of deep to things. I've seen how the court system works and I've seen how the doctors won't give me what I need and how I'm learning how I have to like basically manipulate is what you would call it from a psychiatric yeah. standpoint, but you'd call it strategy from business standpoint. Totally. You know, I, I'm getting all strategic. Like I'm learning things I'd never thought I'd have to know. And so I'm starting to really question a lot of things at this point. I really am starting to question a lot of things because looking through all these diseases, I see that they can cause all these things that we've never been told they could cause, you know, and these people don't get tested for this when they have this. So I'm like mycoplasma pneumonia, looking and there's like literally nothing except for in India and you look and it's like this intracellular organism you can get inside of your cells and I'm like and it, and it causes pneumonia well I'm like I need more information about this and why is there nothing here and so I thought I called all the doctors and I literally have called like 50 of them or gone to 50 of them by now to <laughs> everywhere the whole country and I'm like I gotta think differently I'm like I haven't called a researcher Right. So I called the research department at Vanderbilt. I'm like, I've got some questions. I'm studying, you know, this intracellular organism. I've got some questions for the person that's researching it. And um, this guy answers the phone and I couldn't believe he picked up. You know, those are the signs yes. you get when you know you're like, okay, this might be the right path. Yeah. And he tells me, he's like, listen, uh, the only person in this entire country that studies this organism, this organism is Dr. Garth Nicholson. And I'm like, okay, where, where, where is he? Yeah. He's like, he's in California. And I'm like, okay, I'll call and make an appointment. So I hang up before I ask enough questions. So pull up him and I find his website. It's imed.org. And I start reading and the website's really outdated. And I'm like, okay, how do we schedule an appointment? We'll fly there, drive there, whatever. And I'm like, okay, he doesn't see patients. And I start clicking on the links and it's like, the reason the name jumped out to me so much was because he's the guy, he's the scientist that discovered the phospholipid membrane of this, of the cell. Wow. Nicholson. And I learned yes. that back when I was in biochemistry, when I was getting my degree, what, 25 years ago. Yeah. When biochemistry used to just be biochemistry. I'll yeah. talk about that later. <laughs> so I'm like, I knew his name. And so I, I, I'm reading it and I start to read the stories and I just like start crying. 
because I'm like, I immediately know that what he's saying is true because what happened was they were manipulating a mycoplasma organism, genetically modifying this organism down in like the early 1980s. And they took a strain of mycoplasma fermentins, they genetically modified it and they tested it on the death row inmates in the Texas prison system <sighs> yes. in the town of Huntsville. Okay. So this is the, the DOJ, Baylor and Army Pathology Lab. There's even a patent for it. Um, and I'm reading it and I, I'm not wanting to believe it's true, but I'm reading it, I'm reading it. These um, people that were infected with the mycoplasma fermentants, they were also co-infected with mycoplasma pneumonia. And because of genetic transference, the pathogenicity, you know, transferred over to this organism. And so it had been modified to become heat resistant. It would, couldn't be killed by fevers. It was more virulent. It was, it was antibiotic resistant. It was created to be antibiotic resistant. This is and crazy. I know. I hate to be the one to just have to tell everybody this, but it's the truth. And so yeah. basically they didn't, I don't think that they intentionally meant to infect the people of this town, but because that happened, um, the, the rate of MS, ALS, and rheumatoid arthritis was 5,000% higher than anywhere else in the country, That's in this little town of Huntsville, Texas. And so Garth Nicholson's telling the story, telling the story, and I'm just like thinking to myself, I know what he has. Yes. Because back in 2003, we let my brother-in-law come stay with us to get back on his feet. And he had been in a rehab that was connected with the Texas prison system. And I remember as I read about what happened, how you get it, how it can be contracted. I was just sitting there and I couldn't believe it because, you know, when you're direct exposed, you have direct exposure to this organism at that level, you get sick. And I mean, when he moved in with us the first like week later, we all got deathly sick with this, like what people describe COVID, we couldn't breathe. We could, I mean, it's horrible. Yeah. And of course the same pediatrician went, just the flu, of course it is. Then yes. we ended up getting huge boils all over us. Huge boils, like everywhere, all of us. Come to find out it was MRSA. But at that time, nobody knew what it was. And I this was up- all when your son was a baby. He was a baby. Wow. And so I just thought back and I thought, oh, my gosh. And then I thought, and I just cried for three days because A, nobody wants to hear that you're infected with a bioweapon that's like resistant and it can't be killed by fevers. And then B, it just makes you grieve your whole life because like the yeah. symptoms slowly come on. All the kids had slowly started to get symptoms. My ex-husband had slowly started to get symptoms that looked different than mine. Of course, we all think it's this, 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 but none of us were looking at the right thing. Mm -hmm. My brother-in-law by this time is dead, multi-organ system failure. Um, He's gone to live with every single person in the family. All of them have gotten every kind of autoimmune disease you can imagine in one's like I remember like 2005, ulcerative malformation, ulcers, every single brain cancer, spinal cancer, every suicide, th- three suicides, like, like while he kind of lived with them. And I'm just like, and then I'm like, then I look at my housekeeper and my, the instructors that came to my house earlier. And, and I was just like, 
the guilt was incredible. And then the fear just to stay alive was even like, I was like, so we're just going to die. We might as well well just, I was like, okay, so, okay. And how does it spread? Is it respiratory? Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. So it's kind of like a, you know, very slow acting COVID over many decades, basically. It's nine, takes nine to 18 months to even start seeing the symptoms when you've contracted it. Like this is an insidious weapon. So how many people, how many people in North America or the U.S. potentially have this? Everyone has some strain of it by now, I venture to say. Because this was 1980 when it happened. And if you go back and I just started like, my brain was just, honestly, I think my autoimmune was intellect because I think I was thinking that way. Yeah. And I had like 15 TVs on and I was like, wait, I saw this here. I saw this there. Yeah. And I mean, you should see, I've kept all the research, it's rooms and rooms full connecting the dots. And I was like, okay, so Okay, we're infected with it. Three days later, I'm crying. I'm like, I'm not going to tell the kids. I don't know how to tell anybody. You know, I did before my brother-in-law died. I did have a chance to call him and talk to him. We'd kind yeah. of gotten estranged. And I just said, you know, hey, I want to talk to you about when you were down at that rehab. Um, and he was always smoking weed at the time. Later, he's doing meth. And I mean, I'm just like, no wonder. And so yeah. he tells me that they were sick down there. They did give him a Z pack. They told him all it was some kind of pneumonia. And I was like, okay, but still, even though, even though you hear this wild story and you're like, I know this is what it is. You still want proof. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And nobody would test me for mycoplasma because we didn't have pneumonia. And I, I, I called all the doctors again. No, no, no. But Dr. Nicholson said that pets get it. And when he said that, I was like, wait a minute. We adopted a dog last year. We brought home immediately got all this reverse sneezing and, and then went crazy. <laughs> so it was like, I'm going to take this dog to the vet and I'm going to ask for him to test. So I did. And the vet was like, this is not the answer to your family's problems. I was like, you know what? It's probably not. And, and that's fine. I said, it'll, it'll just help me sleep better tonight. Dogs don't get this. I mean, I took a lashing, you know, and I just like, whatever, please, please. But you know, beggars can't, you know, so I, I took the little test top tube, the red test top tube. And I was like, here's the paper. I've already checked the box. This is the lab. Here's the check. I'll pick it up and ship it. Could you just do the thing in, in the dog's nose? I, I don't know how to do that. And so he did it. And he called me two weeks later and he was like, I don't know how to tell you this. Your dog was positive for mycoplasma and pneumonia. And I was like, wow. Because he too had gone nuts and had ticks. And I was just like, I, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, so then I knew I was like, okay, so then this guy's story checks out this guy, this brilliant scientist, you know, some guy. And so then I'm like, okay, so then his protocol would work. Right. Because by this I'd read enough. So I download this protocol and it's like, it's intense. And I'm like, we got to take all these kinds of antibiotics for this many years. And I'm like, I can't even get a week's worth. How am I exactly. going to do this? So I come in here to my, one of my clients and she's like, oh, you can order those online without a prescription. And I'm like, what? So I fly up to the front and I'm like, order online without a prescription. And I'm like, so there I am. I'm like, I'm either going to make the house payment or I'm going to get us cured if this guy's really right and this <laughs> protocol is really right. And I'm like, oh my uh, gosh. B, B. I'm always thinking B. Yeah. The house go. I'm like, we live in the shop, we, you know. 
let's just do so all this stuff comes in takes like three weeks and the mailman's like did you do it Elizabeth I'm like nothing (laughs) I lay everything out of course I take everything first to make sure it's not poisoned or something all the stories we hear and I'm like it was great and I learned about the Herxheimer response yeah and then I learned that like you got to do Benadryl or you got to do charcoal you know but it was a lot of trial and error and it was a lot of mistakes you know and it was a lot of symptoms coming back that yeah it was a lot of things that I could have done better if I just had somebody to tell me what to do you know so so I just have to I just have to stop here because all this is happening and you're this you know for lack of another word, like literally like a mad scientist in your laboratory, like being like, and your brain is going off and you're figuring all this out. Did you have any support? Like were friends thinking that you're off the deep end where what was happening in your own personal life? Cause I cannot. And did you have a partner to support you? Like what was happening? I had nobody. I was like, nope. I was just like, you know, everybody pretty much distanced themselves. And I was like, I don't even care. Yeah. Like I was at that point where like, I don't even care. I don't care if you like me. I mean, it's my own family. I was like, I don't care. It's, I think it's like that survival thing that kicks in. Yeah. And something happens where you just disconnect from everything other than living. Yeah. And it's like, I think it protects you from all the emotional, you know, I don't know, distractions. Um, that I did have my clients and there was a few of them that stayed and, um, I mean, I, a lot of them stayed, but a few of them that I would talk to, and I had one really smart client, and she was a psychiatrist, and she said, you know, there, I, I heard a professor say when I was back getting her PhD at 1970, that one day the field of psychology and neurology will collide, and, and she said encouraging words to me, and that's all I needed. I just needed one yeah. sentence from one person. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Cause it's lonely when you're out in the world, like researching this stuff and you're second guessing yourself. And then you need to prove it to yourself because, you know, you need to have something to be able to speak about. So here you're gathering, it's not just gathering the evidence. It's almost gathering up the history, the everything so that you can justify what, you know, because other people would be like, well, the specialists would know about this, you know, or aren't there like, you know, medical practitioners and researchers and scientists out there who've been studying this for 30 years that would know about this. So who are you to discover this on your own? So then you have that side, I imagine that's coming in, but you're like so deeply motivated because it's not just your son, it's your entire entire family and extended family my entire family my extended family and I'm just like okay my first thought was before I took the antibiotic I'm like so um I'm probably not really this smart (laughs) (laughs) things are going to slow down and I need to just like for the next few months I need to get as much done as I can you know because I'm sure I'd started putting it all together and I was like this is not normal you know and I can't really stay up for three days normally and, you know, I'm just doing this, you know, out of this adrenaline or whatever. And so I just spent the next three to six months, like you said, documenting everything, pulling everything together where I could still think of it, yeah. writing the doctor's appointments down. And I just spent that first six months doing that while I was trying to get them better, you know, and I knew because every time we'd switch to antibiotic, I mean, they would have, I mean, it would be just like classic honeymoon period. Then we would have the die off and then the die off would end. And then, and I was just like, and like, eventually they all, they all got better. Wow. They all got better. And now had you formed a relationship with Dr. Garth Nicholson? Yeah. I called him a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I emailed him. Hey, Hey, is this, I call him. I'm like, 
um, uh, I just, I just read your website. Is this pandas? Is this pandas? He's like, we haven't, I haven't heard that it's, this is pandas. I just want you to know, just let you know, it's also pandas. <laughs> well, he just came out with something in 2019 that says pandas. And I'm like, okay, good. So okay. it's like, yeah. And so I just started, but, but, you know, and asking all my clients the questions they've been coming for years. So I'd heard all their family stories and, you know, and then at the end of the day, um, you know, we just all, you know, ended up getting better and not having such a, a traumatic life because like our, our animals always died early. Our employees always like going crazy. It's just like, wow. And so now it's just like a much more stable existence. Wow. This is amazing. And so in getting better, can you talk a little bit about the protocol? Like, was it just antibiotics? And then all the things that you had to do for the healing reactions or what did that look like for you, for your family? It was, and I'll tell you why. I mean, like I was tapped out. I mean, I didn't have any money to go to Whole Foods. I mean, I didn't yeah. have any, I didn't, I couldn't live the life that they said you're supposed to live. And, and I'd already tried it and it didn't work when I did have money. I was like, that red dye didn't make a hell of beans difference. You know, and I was like, yeah. I can't spend $500 on supplements. And so I just like relied on, you know what I, my faith in that, like, you know, and, and also that Dr. House show where he found the guy that yes. had a splinter and he pulled it out and he was like, and I was like, Hey, and I just trusted that everything would self-revert. Yeah. Like if this was, and then, but then I started like delving into the mycoplasma and how they work and they parasitize your nutrients and they act like a virus, but they're not really a virus. And then they like get onto your host cell and they get inside the cell and they leave their antigens. That's where the confused antibodies come from. Yeah. And I'm like, so everybody's wrong about the rheumatic fever. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, okay. This is too much. There's no... <laughs> yeah. So then I mean, and it wasn't just our family. Like, I mean, by then I, I kind of like made friends with a, a lot of people that kind of had pandas, I thought. And then I started realizing this isn't just, um, you know, rheumatoid arthritis. It's also what I saw was addiction because in families, it was like, you got three siblings that have juvenile diabetes, rheumatoid arthritis, and then addiction. Yeah. So I'm like, wait, is addiction a standalone autoimmune disease or does the symptom of another one? Seems like it could be a standalone. <laughs> Right. You know, and so then we tried it with some addicts and then they had die off, but I came to realize that it was that combination of 19A and then the mycoplasma pneumonia that just right. like wreaked havoc is brain because it was that pathogenic strain. So it was, it was two things, you know, so, and, and then MRSA, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So when you talk about rheumatic fever, so a lot of people, uh, you know, people are diagnosed with rheumatic fever and, you know, they're told to basically live a lifestyle of a certain way. And, uh, and so what you're saying potentially is that, that the rheumatic fever is just, is it just a symptom potentially of that? Or can you just talk a little bit more about that? And I'm, this is a personal question because I know someone who, an adult who, you know, when she was young, she got rheumatic fever um, and spent her whole life is now basically defined by staying away from all germs, which is hard in this world, right? Because, you know, we live in a world of balance between, you know, good pathogens, bad pathogens, good everything, bad everything. So, so yeah, if you could talk a little bit more about that. So, um, yeah. And, and honestly, like the, there's a reason that strep behaves the way that it does that group A strep is group A strep. It behaves this way. You know, it, it presents these exotoxins. So why in, in this host does it do this? Because there's another variable. 
And so it's like when you can find that other variable right. and you sort of remove that, then there are going to be the antibodies there. And so that person would just want to stay on penicillin prophylactically, which is only 500 milligrams a day. Like that's like taking a vitamin. I mean, it doesn't hurt yeah. anything. And um, I mean, it, and then they, they should theoretically be able to live, you know, normal life without having to have so much fear. Right. You know? But I mean, it's yeah. just like, like the whole COVID thing right now, like why weren't we staying six feet apart before? I know. Like why weren't we like, why were we not worried about, I'm not even going to make that comment, but I mean, mycoplasma has been, we're not worried about it. It's like written up in the pediatric literature. You're over here and it's like, okay. Um, and I know this is, I went back to school in January for a master's in molecular medicine. And I had just enough to know, no. They want you to believe that mycoplasma pneumonia is benign and that even though a child has elevated liver enzymes and is also infected with mycoplasma pneumonia, don't do any further testing because it'll waste money because it's benign. Yet over here, 100% of liver cancer cells are infected with mycoplasma sinus. Oh, excuse me, but there's no problem. Yeah. So I'm like, okay, he's doing this. <laughs> And this is a part that I find is really, you know, challenging because a lot of times we live in this, this, our Western medicine world is one treatment for the one condition, whereas there's a lot of co-founding variables and it's hard to, you can't pick that apart in a seven and a half minute doctor's appointment. And also nobody wants to send you for tests unless it's basically, you're almost at the acute stage, right? right? And so, whereas testing is so, it is so cheap in a lot of ways, even if you make the patient pay for it, right? Like whether it's a vitamin D deficiency test, and I get that some people can't afford to pay for that, but if we're not looking at all of these conditions simultaneously and saying, okay, could it be a nutrient deficiency? Where could that nutrient deficiency be for? And we need systemic thinkers in our system. It's, we have to let go of this one diagnosis, one treatment mentality, because it is creating disaster in our healthcare system. We spend in the US, I can't even remember what it is. It's in the trillions of dollars every single year, managing conditions, just trying to manage them. For, for individuals when if we actually were to divert a little bit of that money into actually just implementing systemic thinking into our practitioners, then, you know, and I, you know, I, I'm not there writing the checks for our medical system, so I get it, but, you know, we know prevention goes a long way and we're not spending the money on prevention. We know that um, systemic thinking and we need that interdisciplinary um, thinking that we could have in our medical system, but it's still, again, one individual who's trying to diagnose you and they don't even know you in a seven and a half minute appointment. They don't even know you and they might just not like you. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, that happens. you know, I mean, it happens. And, and the bottom line is when you look at the schizophrenics and the ratio of the, the schizophrenics diagnosed um, have got much higher percentage of toxoplasmosis gondii. I mean, so is it asymptomatic? Absolutely not. You know, yeah. you got toxoplasmosis gondii that when it infects a rat, 
it drives the rat to the cat because that has to, the parasite has to complete its life cycle in the cat's mm. gut. So it completely changes the rat's behavior. So why is this so, so hard to believe yeah. that these kids that are going crazy don't have an infection in their brain that's not being treated? And yeah. why are we ignoring it? And why are we not, like you said, looking at multiple things? Because in, in my son's case, I mean, he did it for five different things at the end of the day. You know, and just teasing them apart, but it's like, you know, one thing, what do I have? What's the treatment? Seven days is not enough. It's seven days of antibiotics. It's not going to kill anything. It's just going to make it angry. It's Mm -hmm. like, just don't do them. (laughs) I mean, at that point, it's. So what can, okay. So what do we do now? Now that we have this information, your story's getting out there. Um, it's, it's an Aaron Brockovich story. Uh, you know, it is definitely brain on fire type of story and movies have both been made in, in this situation. Um, what is the path to healing, which you actually do have that on your website um, at what's wrongwellness.com, but you do have a path to healing. So what can parents do if, and I imagine a lot of parents will be looking at their children and their behaviors and they will actually be resonating with your story whether that's the case for them or not but you know let's help them understand what they can do there's lots of options I mean like in the milder cases you know there's no sense in in putting anybody through things they don't need to go through so it's like you know changing the diet um, you know improving sleep if those things work that's great I mean that's always the first go-to Okay. Um, second, um, we can do a scan where we uh, look for 1600 bile stressors. We look for parasites, um, viruses, bacteria that might be stressing the system out. Um, and then we can use our research nutritional nutraceuticals, which are all natural. But I mean, they're, they work, they're effective. We can um, manage the cytokine misdirected cytokines, and then we can increase the NT killer cells. Then we can go in and target the organism specifically with um, targeted transfer factor or target the stressors. Um, you know, and then sometimes I'm just like, you know, this is above my pay grade. You need to go to this. I have several doctors that we work with. Some can work remotely, you mm-hmm. know, we can send lab orders. So, I mean, I think our whole mission is just like assess the client, how dire is the situation? And then B, what's the treatment going to look like? If if we're going to treatment, is that going to be worse? Like, what do we have to do to get this? Because we end up getting some really tough situations that nobody's been able to figure out. And then you've got to balance, well, if it's going to make them worse, what does that look like? And how do we prepare for that? Because I was not prepared for that. And so it's like, just so, so there's not any one size fits all. But there are lots of options and there's lots of treatment protocols. And, um, you know, I I love discussing options with people because I'm not here to say that one thing is absolutely the correct thing for everyone to do. Right. And I like hearing that, you know, there's also different degrees, right? So if you, and the thing is, everything that you're suggesting is technically what we actually all need to be doing. We still live in a world where people are more afraid of supplements that if you actually look at the adverse reactions from supplements and death from supplements with the CDC, it is literally a handful of cases predominantly around iron. And when children get into their iron, parents' iron supplements, and they take that, okay, iron out of all the supplements. But we do have people who are afraid of nutraceuticals, but they're willing to take a painkiller from a med that they're going to be diagnosed with and potentially end up living on the streets from a an addiction that is so strong that you'd rather kill yourself than not have that, that uh, opioid. 
Okay. Exactly. So people need to switch their mind about the nutraceuticals because our bodies do need help. We live in a world where we don't have access to clean, fresh, real food all the time. Most of our food is so contaminated with pesticides, herbicides, everything that exacerbates I miss your son's condition. Um, And then, you know, and then we're not getting the nutrients in the food. So people need to understand that there is a role for nutraceuticals, even if you do not have anything that you just discussed, even Mm -hmm. if you just want to maintain like health at a level that is, is, is at the bare minimum. So Sleep, of course, we know that that is incredibly important. You know, you don't need to be a neuroscientist to know that sleep is vital. It's where you do all of your regenerative healing. It's where you clear out the excess from the brain that can't get cleared out. It's so important. Now with the, um, I just want to go into this scan a little bit more. What does this scan look like? Like, do I have to fly to you to be able to do it? What does that look like? No, um, I mean, like our mission is just make sure there's like, no child left behind and probably took that from somewhere else but it's like if somebody needs help and they can't get help I mean of course we want you to try to get help from your doctor but if you can't get it you know we have plan b and so we will drop ship you a scanner and they can do uh, download an app on their computer and then we can scan remotely like our clients in Singapore and all, all different countries it's, you know two in the morning I'm like are you ready to scan you know and, <laughs> and what um, are they scanning can I ask well, I mean, like we have this baby, so we have to lay her on her tummy because all the points have to um, touch the hand cradle. It's a Zyto hand cradle. And um, the Zyto hand cradle has a little bit of a bad rap. We're using it a lot differently than like you see it online because we wrote, I wrote our own biosurvey for it. So it kind of comes with its own pre-programmed things, but ours is like next level. And so you just put your hand on it and then it takes about 15 minutes to scan and I can see kind of what your range is. And it, I mean, it's the same technology that the FBI uses for lie detection. It's galvanic skin response, except for looking or pinging the neuroreticular activation system, which is the base of the spine. And we're just like pinging with virtual stressors. And so, I mean, the thing is that it, the interpretation piece is pretty big because I mean, it, it'll pick up like if you've had a vaccine, it'll show like you've got antibodies and then it doesn't mean that person has that thing, you know? So it's like right. a thorough health history, you need lab work. I mean, this is like a clue because it's looking for things that they're never going to look for in blood. Right. Interesting. I do not understand it at all. And I will, um, I'm going to be running it, like jumping in to just understand how it works. I'm so curious about this. Um, And that's the thing with blood work as well is blood work does not actually tell you what is happening in your body. Your blood needs to maintain homeostasis. It doesn't tell you what's going on in your bones and your tissues. It doesn't understand what, you know, and, and also a lot of blood work people don't understand unless the physician who is requesting the blood work is specifically asking for certain tests to look for specific things that you're, it's not going to show up in your blood work. Most of my clients, they are all very sick and their blood work is perfect. 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 Yeah. It's like, there's 5,000 organisms. What we're going to just trust somebody to just take a stab at it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Maybe it's this, like you've never heard of this one over here. Like they don't take 
it, it, it is so true. And when I learned that all the clinical trials are based on serological testing, I was just like, I'm done. Exactly. I mean, you're telling us you're running all these tests and you're making these statements that we all take to the bank to our grave and we have to live by. And you've not even spent the money to biopsy any tissue. Exactly. Like losing our, I mean, seriously, I, I'm done. I'm like, okay. And the fact that we have all of these researchers and scientists out there in the labs who haven't questioned that yet, I get that it all comes back to what's economical for the world when you do have to run tests, but it, you know, we're not going to be going to biopsy everybody for, and you have to know what you're looking for again. But the thing is, is that there's so many lives that are being completely wrecked. I mean, ours, we went down that path. We went to Africa, to my village um, where I was born. We swam in Lake Malawi. My family got strepto schistosomiasis, uh, um, schistosomiasis, which is a parasite, Balharzia but they don't see Balharzia here. And so they wouldn't even run the test for it because they didn't even know what to run the test for in, until we said, you need to run the test. And they're like, oh, we'll just run blood work. No, because there's three different pathways that it can take, stool, urine, and blood, depending on, just depending on what the, the, what the parasite wanted to do that day. So it might not show up in the other test. So in fact, that's what happened. We had to get all three tests for each of us each of us presented differently. We also had very different symptoms. And, you know, sometimes it attacks your kidneys, sometimes it attacks your um, colon, all of us had different symptoms, but the doctors didn't even want to run the tests. And all you had to do was Google and that's what he ended up doing. That's how he educated himself enough to be like, oh, this is what I have to do to request and on Google. And so we finally found out what it was. But by this time, my youngest daughter, we were in the cancer clinic because they found a mass on her bladder and assumed it was a tumor. And they told me, be prepared. Your daughter has bladder cancer and it does not fare well for children. So this is how our medical system is operating. And instead of just listening to us, because here we are, like all of us screaming and saying, we swam in the lake with the warning signs for schistosomiasis. Please listen to us. And the doctor didn't want to listen to us. How many appointments later? What does that cost the medical system? All they had to do was listen to us the first time. So this is just another small, tiny example. We were able to get the drug, take it all better within a week. No problem. But it was six months of medical appointments. Oh, I am so sorry. Just six that months. Is, oh. Just six months. So it doesn't compare in anything to what you went through. But I, just to highlight to people that A, do not be afraid to do the homework yourself. Go down all these routes use your gut intuition as well. Don't let fear control you and take over because that's not going to look good. But I mean, you just, you know, this was years and years and years of you doing it. Now your son is how old? 22. He's 22. And tell me about um, him now. How is he doing? He's doing great. I mean, he went back to school and then he, um, you know, he teaches he's great at the guitar. He's an amazing guitar player. He teaches jujitsu. He's like brown belt. Now he was back in college. And then, and then I was like, you can't keep taking antibiotics your whole life. You'll get, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so he listened and then he just slowly. And so we just recently, I said, Oh, we're going back and getting tested. And so he just had decided he was, you know, the thing about this is, is like, you, you feel cured, yeah. you know? You feel cured, but, but if you catch strep again, you're, you're up a Creek Yes, and, and it's not good. And so he caught it again at, at jujitsu and, and 
I mean, in that case, we did have him on the Bastillon XL shot thinking he had coverage, but it's just like, you know, it's just going to be. So it's still a journey, but at the same time, though, he is functioning in society. Oh, yeah. He's not in the, he's not in the um, justice system. He is able to learn how to play music and do it. Like, it's incredible. He works for your company as well. Incredible. And it's just like, and the only reason I even bring that up is for people. It's like, you know, you just have to be vigilant. Like you you talk about, you've got to make good decisions and take care of yourself and get your sleep and keep your immune system up. Like, just because you feel great, you know, it's still lurking. You just got to be always vigilant for the rest of your life, but we should be vigilant anyway. Anyway, not like anything we're asking anybody to do. That's like more than they should have been already doing. Exactly. You know, and so it is, um, it has been a long journey and really excited about just how much better he gets and I'm engaged now. And I mean, I guess it's a good thing that I, cause my fiance had never seen him in, in a flare right. and he was just like, he's always seen the good, you know, the better. And so he watched it and he was like, uh, you have to do a movie. I've never seen anything yes. like it, you know? And so so it was good for him to see it because it's like they they're not themselves and that just breaks my heart because I think about all the kids that probably have this and did something super crazy and mm-hmm. ha- and do end up in their whole lives in the justice system and I'll never forget when my son was 14 and we went to Duke and um the chief of I won't say who it is because she was a great person she was so nice she was so helpful she really I mean she diagnosed him and I thought I've got to have Anyway, she, my son said, so can I get better? And she said, no, no, there's no, you know, getting better. And he was like, so I'm going to be in prison the rest of my life. And she Hmm. didn't answer him. And I just, he was devastated. He just jumped off the bed and ran away. And I was like, no, I'll never get him, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And we were in the car and we hope. And he was like, I was like, that's not true. He goes, mom, you can't be. Right. And every single other doctors were wrong. And I was like, yes, I am. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just like had to keep him going because, you know, you just kind of give up hope. Like who wants to hear, like, you're going to do something you didn't mean to do because Dr. Trifletti had already told him that you disassociate. You don't know what you're doing. Yeah. And then you come out of the flare and you've got a 20 year prison sentence. Like how this is just not just about my family. It's just, it's a travesty. And it's a travesty of the entire human system that we have created, the justice system, the medical system, our education system, um, our food system, right? Like this is where if anything, if we could just do anything, it would be to correct our food system so people just get healthy food so they can start getting nutrients back into their body so that they can diversify their microbiome to be, um, you know, not just resilient, but literally thriving. And because just starting from that point could help so many people. We've seen this with, with, we've seen this in so many cases. The other thing as well that absolutely needs to stop. And I don't know why people do this. Maybe people have just not heard enough amazing stories. We just have to look through history to find not just, you know, dozens of stories like yours, but literally every story that's ever brought us here to this day is 
because of one person who was persistent and they were not going to give up and they were not going to say, no, there's not an answer. There's not a cure. There's no solution to this, no matter what it is. But we see this all the time. And what gives an individual the right to say there's no solution? That person immediately, and I know that wasn't her fault, and I'm sure she's seen so many things, but even if you had spent your entire life trying to find the answer, there's a good probability somebody would stand on the shoulders, and you have very beautiful, big, amazing shoulders, you know, um, built up from all of this research and persistence, and somebody would have come along and they would have found the answer. But do we just all give up? What is that about? No, it's, we have, to, if you have a gut feeling about something, you keep fighting for it because there will, uh, there's always a solution. There's always a solution. I mean, we yes. weren't created to have this much disease. No, it's not in the plan. And it's like, so there's something else. And what is it? And I mean, in our case, um, because we already did eat so healthy and we did try the things, but ours was a very extreme case, Yes, you know, and then in some of the milder cases, you can correct just small things and it's, yeah. and, and go on and it's fine. You know? So it's just like, I don't understand why the intakes at the juvenile detention center don't consist of, why don't we send you to a doctor that's going to test for these things? Yeah. Why don't we just rule out these things that can all cause these behaviors, impulsive behaviors, you know, affect your executive functioning. Yeah. You know, why are we not doing that? I mean, that seems like a small thing. So yeah. like, yeah, a boost in nutrition and, you know, just check off the boxes. Exactly. You and I, I think we need to get together and we can just dream up a world like the justice system that we want to see, the education system that we want to see, where we incorporate all this and we just co-design that, even if it's only in our dreams right now, because eventually it will happen. It might take us a few hundred years. I hope it's not that long. So in the meantime, people, I can talk to you forever. There are just so many bits of your story I just want to dive into. But in the meantime, you have an amazing book that just came out. Yes, it's Can called you please... What's Wrong With My Child. Yes, please tell us. Beautiful. Um, and, you know, the first book I wrote, it was funny because when I was like thinking like I was, I wrote a book and I was like, I called it America is Infected. And I put like these bio warfare. <laughs> it was like 400 pages of like this antigen and this, but I mixed the story in with it. So everybody was like, huh? <laughs> I got a publisher and she was like, you're gonna have to cut like half of that. And I was like, you can't cut half of it. So then they bring an editor in to make the choices. And so this is the result. Everybody that reads it says they can't put it down. So I think she did a phenomenal job and um, she, she was really great. And um, Morgan and James is my publisher and they've been great. And with, you know, command your brand and uh, the book launches on October the 26th. And so I just pray that it can, you know, can help a lot of families. And if, and if it's not affecting your family, it might be affecting a family that you know of, you yeah. know, and just launching my social media. Cause I just launched that. Cause it's really struggled for me since I'd been in it, you know, but it's just like watching the people say at, at this looks like your family, not, yeah. you know, maybe this will help. And it's just like got me really inspired, you know, yeah. and even like a neurologist, like ask a question and 
you know? So it's like, I really appreciate those that are, are willing to be open-minded and understand that we, none of us know everything. And it's not just because they told you something like symptoms change a lot faster than textbooks can be rewritten. It's like exactly. every four years, this is like, we were in a textbook from 2016. It's 2021. I'm like, what, why are we limited to this? You know, and this is what you go out fighting everything with. And I feel sorry for them, you know, cause they just, it's not, I just, you know, it's just sad, but like yeah. you said, just spread and educate. We're building this. I've teamed up with this amazing researcher in Australia. I won't say who it is, but I found him on this journey because I was building this huge symptoms checker. Now we, like you said, it's never just one thing, yeah. but we're also programmed to think it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do a symptoms checker and put all the symptoms. And we're doing like 15 to 20 of the most common organisms. So basically you can go through click, like this is it in this 100% of the time or like 10% of the time. And then this is the diseases it causes. So, you know, we're working on that. That'll be ready. You get a free symptoms checker when you order your book, just because we want people to have it. And then we're going to be, we've got research on the website. So just like me, if you find research that, you know, is applicable, I've tried to put all kinds of syndromes, disorders, diseases, diagnoses, psychiatric, everything, you can just download it and take it in. And, and a physician will have to respect a peer-reviewed article. Yeah. And, and, you know, there so you we're just trying to like provide a lot of options. Yeah. And I love what you said earlier as well about how your doctor fired you. Because one thing we teach our clients to do is to actually fire their doctor. So if you've been going back and they keep on saying nothing's wrong with you or, you know, just keep taking this drug, just keep taking it, you know, just hang on to that because it's going to get better um, and nothing's changing and they do not want to give you the time of day. If you show up with research and like, the 11th out of the 12th pediatricians that I interviewed for my daughter, you know, he said, I'm not going to read that. And well, I don't, you, you can't fire me because I'm firing you right now, you know, thing. And so, and it's important for people to take, if anything, that's the first thing you need to do until you find a doctor that is going to want to listen to you because it's a trust both ways that they have to trust you. You have to trust them. And then from that place, you can co-create solutions for your family based on, you know, some people may not have the resources to go down the route that you went. So they're going to have to come up with another solution and there will be another solution. It might not be the ultimate outcome, but it's going to be a balance of what you within the context of your world and family and financial resources and education will be able to, to manage and support and everything. But you absolutely need to fire your doctor if they are not going to work with you to find a solution. That's so glad to hear you say that. I mean, because we've just elevated that to like a godlike status. And I don't think we've actually done it ourselves. I think that like it's been done for us, you know, but it's like they're not gods. I mean, and if they act like they know everything, then, then fire them. Yeah. Yeah. And especially because we live in a world where, like you said, the information is coming out so fast, faster than we can even put a book together and print it. And so if somebody's for and they say, I have a really great book called How Doctors Think that lets you know that things like, you know, if your doctor graduated 25 years ago from med school, there there's a very high percentage of those doctors that are still prescribing the same medications from 25 years ago that they learned about because they're not learning anything new. A lot of them sure they go for these, you know, um, you know, um, credits every single year, but 
it, it might not be in what you need. It might only be in their specialty. They're not looking into other specialties as well. So it, it is very important that you get a doctor who's just continuously learning and wanting to, you know, to serve you, you that they have you on the pedestal versus you having them on the pedestal. So right. it's important. Yeah. And the G and the, you know, primary physician and the pediatrician have just become glorified traffic directors. Totally. Go here, go here, go here, go here. And it's like, wait a minute, where's the brain that's like putting all this together? Like, yeah. why is the adult going over here and the child over here? Everybody needs to go to the same. There needs to be one person, a case manager for the family. I yeah. mean, it's like we would solve so many things very easily like that. Yeah. And you gave us lots of great tips as well. Like, you know what? You can't get the drug. I guarantee you there's probably a good way that you can get um, a good version of that drug. Two, that you can go and make those specialist appointments yourself. You don't have to wait because too many people say, well, my doctor never called me back. He never sent in the referral. The, the specialist never called me back. Then get off your ass and go and make it happen. And that's exactly, yeah, that's exactly what you've taught us today. So how can people, first of all, is there anything that we have missed that you are just dying to share with our audience that you're like, you need to know this? No, we've covered everything. Okay. So, and where can people find you? Um, what's wrong wellness.com. Um, I will say that the COVID long haulers, um, underlying organisms. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, if you, if you get into a situation with COVID, definitely look at the underlying infections and targeting those. Um, and, uh, what's wrong wellness.com, um, come there. You can, you know, find all the research, just email me, email us, and we'll do our best to help. This is incredible. And your book's coming out on October 26th, which is just around the corner. So we're going to make sure that this podcast gets out starting the, our next. We're going to bump it up there um, just so we can promote this book to everybody. And I can't wait to get a, a, a copy of it myself. I'm going to be devouring it. And I just want to thank you so much for sharing your incredible story of courage, determination, love for your family, um, you know, and and putting your ego aside to be able to really dive in and and get an answer that is going to help lots and lots of people. So thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Welcome back, everyone. You know what to do. If you love that show as much as I did, please share this. Storytelling has been at the foundation and root of human civilization. Back then, it still is now. That's what Instagram is, Facebook is, uh, videos, YouTube, podcasting. It's just all about sharing stories. So this is yet another really important story, though, that really needs to get into the hands of so many people because your family might be suffering from this. You might have already experienced the loss from everything that Elizabeth talked about in her podcast. And it's really important to just start with the basics. Everything that she suggests in her PATH program is needed. So head over to her website at What's Wrong Wellness and get that link, share it with that, share it with others, but share it along with this episode because I I know that the way she tells her story is what is so powerful to allow people to resonate. Everybody's going to resonate with a different aspect of the story, but it's just so important that you share, share, share. So thanks everyone for listening to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. It has been a pleasure. Thank you to Elizabeth Harris, and we'll see you next time with a new episode. Bye for now.